0: Coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gahn Mueller.
1: This is Barbara Gahn Mueller, and I am so pleased you have decided to join us today for peacepodcast.org. As you know, every podcast is an inspirational point for you, for you to learn from the people I have had the good fortune to meet, and to learn what you can do for peace in a world that needs it so badly. Peace Podcast is devoted to peace, security, and healthy living. And recently, I have been working with the Rotary E-Club of World Peace. And one of the projects we had was to look at the young people today. Where are our young people studying when they want to learn about peace? Where are they working to help peace on the planet today? And so we asked the Joan B. Kroc School of Peace and asked them, Do you have some students who are just totally outstanding and boy, did they come back with two winners. And so the two winners today are the people you're going to get to meet. I'm going to say their names and I want them to give me a couple of sentences about them. Sophia Ventura Cruz. Tell me a couple minutes about you and then Tabitha Naholi. But let's start with you.
2: Yes. Thank you so much, Barbara. It is a true honor to be with you and Tabitha here today. So my name is Sofia Cecilia Luz Ventura Cruz. Um, I use she, her, her pronouns. Um, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Orange County, California um, from two amazing parents, Jim and Juana. Um, and I grew up in the Unitarian Universalist Church, um, and that experience gave me a lot of vision to think about community and to think about social justice. Um, and so I, at 18, I, I decided to study Peace Studies for college, um, and that process brought me a lot of interest in thinking about what are the intersections of thinking about peace building, and interacting with youth. Um, and so I from that experience, four years later, I, I arrived at the the Croc School. Um, and from then I've just, you know, been working on the similar issues of youth and peace building. Um, and in my free time, I love to cook. Cooking is my love language. Um, I love to be with family. I love to be with friends. Um, and those are the things that recharge me uh, in, in the challenging times. But you know, opportunistic times we live in.
1: Well, I read your resume and I was so impressed with all of the activities at this young age you have already completed. And that brings me right over to Tabitha Naholi. Tabitha Naholi sent not only her resume, but her video that she made. Tabitha, tell us a little about your background. You are an impressive young woman.
0: I thank you, Barbara, for um, having us on the podcast. Um, and it's an honor to you know, share this platform with Sophia as we speak about um, the different things that we've been doing at CROC. Um, my name is Tabitha Naholi. I was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. Um, growing up, I think my parents always enforced in us that we have our privilege to bless other people so my mom would always tell us that we're blessed to be a blessing and she would be the type who every December we had to clean out our closets if you hadn't won something it was going to the children's home and I guess her instilling this in me would made me um, be more aware to like the privileges that I had and what people didn't have. Um, I took the traditional route so um, I went uh, my undergrad I studied uh, marketing and human resource. I worked I worked in marketing and human resource for a bit, but I didn't see, my passion wasn't there. Um, in 2018, I decided to start a nonprofit. And this was after I saw a news item that was talking about um, the girls in uh, in a village called Busia, where my parents are originally from. And the basic news item was talking about how these girls had been subjected to engaging in transactional sex because they didn't have access to reusable to sanitary towels. So for me, menstruation had always been a joy. Like I looked forward to the day I would have my first period. And when I got it, I I couldn't wait to tell everyone, but the same thing that brought me so much joy, brought a lot of pain and heartache to certain people. So I decided to do something about it. Um, I had conversations with my parents and my mom is in sustainable development. And she said, if we're going to do something, we have to make it sustainable, um, not only for the environment, but also a solution that doesn't have the girls needing you. Yeah, and that led me to um, creating a foundation, which I've been running for the past um, close to four years. But I realized I was running it on a lot of passion and no, no, no experience. So, coming to the Croc School um, was for me to get like, the proper experience on what it takes to run a nonprofit. What does that look like? Um, just the intersection of social change um, and working with communities to help them create solutions to their problems. So, even going beyond what I've done, how can I empower communities to, to seek the social change that they need?
1: Sophia, I see you shaking your head because you also have that same passion for solving problems. I get that in your resume. I get that in what you're doing. Is peace going to help solve some of these problems, Sophia?
2: Yeah, so I think that, you know, my motivation to pursue a career and to pursue an education in peace, it's always been motivated by both a a moral pathway. Um, I morally believe that it's The path that we need to take as a society and as a global community but there's also for me a very practical element to peace building as well i see peace building i see um, you know processes of community building processes of societal healing i see those as the most practical avenue to achieving the change that so many of the people so many communities are you know asking from leaders and asking from community members so You know, I think that uh, peace is is the option for me, you know, Um, it is it is the way that we can bring people together. um, And it is it often helps foment so many of the things that people are asking for, for greater representation, for greater avenues to be involved in their community. So many of those things. So peace is the peace is is the route to to those
1: peace is the route. And you know with peace if you don't have peace you can't live your destiny you're so busy worrying about your safety rather than your destiny and your destiny is calling you but you're so busy you know protecting yourself etc is that right Topot, tabitha is that what happens with when you don't have peace in your life
0: yeah um i think for me because my first um i guess experience with like a direct conflict was when we had the post-election violence And for me, I thought peace was something that happened in northern Kenya. But then how that impacted our lives was we couldn't travel. We couldn't move anywhere. Um, So that's when I realized that you actually a lot of things can't exist without peace. And that's why I guess we've seen even sometimes businesses will come in to step in and help, you know, end a genocide because they can also do business because there's no peace. Yeah.
1: Boy, did you say that right. Sometimes you're so stymied because you have things you have to take care of first, and and the peace that you need isn't necessarily there. So you both have field engagements. You're both working in the field of peace. Talk about that, Sophie, a little bit. What are your engagements that you're involved with now?
2: Yeah, so my engagements in in the field have been different in the past two years. So I started at the Croc School um, as a practice fellow at the Kroc uh, Institute of Peace and Justice and their cross-border department. Um, and so I was doing a lot of research and understanding the intersections of um, you know, so many of the issues we see of, you know, in access to justice, uh, climate change, Uh, gender violence, and how all those things were happening in in the border, U.S.-Mexico border region. And so that led me um, to an internship last summer um, at the Inter-American Foundation, where I helped them develop um, a chronic violence framework. So it was expanding understanding violence from something that is just uh, episodic, you know, something that happens one day or the next day, to understanding how violence is actually experienced in communities in a chronic level and how that impacts people, not only psychologically, um, but their ability to engage civically and all of those, you know, those aspects. Um, and then I kind of took a, a 180 shift. Um, and so right now I'm actually working as a peace mentor um, in an elementary school. So I work with K through five students. Um, and I do peace building, restorative justice, and conflict resolution. And I teach that to, from kindergartners up to fifth grade. Um, And I work with a caseload of about uh, 14 students individually and working with restorative justice with them, but also bringing in lessons of, um, you know, anti-racist lessons and uh, gender uh, inclusivity lessons. And I bring those into the classroom as well. So That's kind of the avenue that I'm in right now, but I would say that the thread between all of those three is thinking about how can we engage with communities to prevent violence, um, instead of getting to the place where violence has already occurred and and harm is already so deep. How can we empower communities and, and work with students right now, in my case, to prevent violence in five years and 10 years?
1: That is such a noble cause. You know, I feel so sad when people don't look at alternatives to violence, when the violence strikes and you know that you just want to hit somebody because you feel so badly. And mm-hmm. so just you being present might just really be the key that you're paying attention to them, listening to their stories, being that beacon of peace they need in that moment. You know, it's time, You know, you know, Tabitha, you probably have had the same sort of stories. You've been in war-torn areas, haven't you?
0: Um, yeah, I, I would say I've I've been in areas where um, they've suffered from structural violence. Um, and one experience that I had is, so in just after the pandemic had begun um, in Kenya, in about April of 2020, um, an area in Western Kenya had floods. So, you know, with floods, you're, you all have to relocate from your home. So people were scrambling, you know, trying to save what you can. Um, and when we went to the area, the rescue centers where they had gone to none of them had access to sanitary towels because that's not the first thing you're thinking about is is not your menstruation um so even just seeing that how um structural violence can disrupt your whole life and affect you getting access to things that are a basic need for you right amazing you know you think about it floods fire there's
1: disasters that are occurring now you you just want to have a way that you can be peaceful, just something that will bring you a ray of hope that peace is still possible in spite of the dangers that we're all experiencing. And, you know, as I think about that, you both have this optimistic view of the world. You know, you bring that to whoever you're with, and I thank you for that, because, you know, you could get down in the dumps. What prevents you from getting down in the dumps? I'll start with you, Tabitha. How do you keep yourself so positive and beautiful?
0: Um, I think. Uh, ooh, that's interesting because for me, I always thought that I I look at the most negative thing that can happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that's what I I will strive to prepare for. But I think it's because just even as I've done work, um, there's there's times when you know you want to do more but you can't do more. But just always believing in the philosophy that the work that I'm doing is impacting, even if it's one person. Yeah. It's making at least one problem that they're facing a little better. It might not alleviate it at the end of the day, but at least for even if it's five minutes, I'm putting a smile on someone's face through through the work that I'm doing. Because the work that we do is is really selfless, and um, you know, some, you you give of yourself a lot. But um, I think in 2020 with the pandemic, I also suffered from a burnout, and that's when I realized that you also have to pour into yourself because you can't pour from an an empty cup. So also just proactively, you know, taking steps to take care of my mental health, whether it's um, I had to regularly go for grief therapy and now I have to go for therapy every time. Just because after you, you know, you're trying to solve people's problems and you can't really carry the weight of their problems. Um, Sometimes you feel dejected, but just knowing that at the end of the day, at least I'm doing something.
1: Oh, bless you, Yeah. That is so beautiful that at the end of the day, I know I've done something that helps somebody else. And What do you think, Sophia? Is that kind of how you manage your beautiful personality?
2: Yeah, no, I relate to that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, In my personal life, I'm a bit of a catastrophizer. Um, I tend to uh, imagine and visualize, like Tabitha, you said, like, what is the worst thing that can happen here? And so I think, um, you know, being a practitioner of peace has really pushed me personally to be like, I need to not, I need to be prepared, right? Like, I need to be prepared for the circumstance that it can occur, but I need to allow myself not to go Constantly into a space of catastrophe mm-hmm. um, because that's not a sustainable space, not only for yourself but for people that you work with and communities that you're engaged with. Um, and so I think that um, my dad has always told me, you know, step by step, step by step. And so I think that that is the motto now that I try to live by in the work that I do. Is that when you when you start to um, really visualize how massive these issues are and how linked they are, it can feel like a mountaintop that will never be reached. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that my approach to how am I going to find hope um, is taking it step by step, but also having that hope be very, I've struggled a lot with hope. I think that hope and despair are very connected. I don't think that they're like, I think that they have an intimate relationship with each other. And so um, my approach to finding hope is to activate myself, right? So, to find um, how can I activate myself? So I try to, to take it step by step, but I also like am a person who prioritizes joy that is completely unrelated to the peace field. So like I would like to be laughing with my friends. I would like to be laughing, you know, with my partner and with my parents and and being silly, Um, I think if I didn't have the space to be silly, I would have a really hard time in this field and, you know, just the other forms of self-care, you know, cooking for me is incredibly therapeutic, meditation, exercise, all of those things. So I think having an active personhood that is not immediately involved in selfless work or service or the peace field is really important to remember who you are first and foremost, which will allow you to, to go out into the world whole every day. You agree with her, Tabitha? Yeah,
0: I I agree with that completely. I would not subtract or deduct anything or (laughs) add anything to what she said.
1: Isn't it true you know what she says? Prioritize joy. Take time to be silly. Why not? Take time to be silly. Last night I had my birthday party yesterday. It was my birthday. Oh, yay. Happy birthday. <laughs> and so I had a spontaneous party, let me tell you. My husband's book is called Prophet, The Hat Maker's Son and the biographer of my husband came to town. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've got to introduce him to some of my friends. So a spontaneous birthday party. One of the people who came was probably 83. And she said, you know what I decided? I'm going to laugh more. I'm going to have <laughs> reasons to laugh. So coming from you and then going to her, this is what I'm finding. We need to do this. It relieves the tension. It relieves the pain. And you know your generation suffers more than my generation. Now why? Because you guys have social media. It interrupts your mm-hmm. life. It tells you things that you think, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> you know. It puts you in the shoulds when you should be in the coulds. Don't you agree? I could do that if I so choose, if that matches my life's path. My life's path is unfolding in front of me. Some, I read yesterday, you are the action you take. And the actions you take are powerful. So let's see, how can you give a message to this generation who may be very sorry that they were even born? So can you give them a message of hope? I'll let whoever wants to start.
0: Um, I think I've, I've struggled sometimes with imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. and, and I think it's more of people say, oh, you've done all this, you've done great work. And I'm like, have I really? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and for the most time, um, especially because being a young founder and a young social entrepreneur, I would always compare myself with other people in the same field I'm working in. Like they're so far and I'm just here. And my mom would constantly tell me, you're running your own marathon on your own track. Like the same way when people are running in athletics, you're not allowed to cross over to someone else's track. That's the same way you should take your life. Their track is their track. Mm-hmm. They might be close to the end or close to wherever they are, but you're running life on your own track and you're the one who sets your own terms. And I think even just once you told me that, I was like, okay, so my, my goal is to always seek to be a better version of myself. Because I'm my own competition. And sometimes social media can show you, you know, everyone is doing well. People are, uh, you know, are living their best lives. But then just the same way I think of, I wouldn't want to put the worst version of myself on social media. Like, it's like your first impression, you're showing up. So the same way these people that I'm trying to compete with are also not showing their worst selves. They're not really showing their most vulnerable selves. Um, and I think, um, yeah, the hope is just coming from you are put on this earth for a purpose. And while you're striving to find that purpose, um, you try and do the best that you can. You be a kind person because kindness um, goes a long way. You never know what people are going through. And once you find that purpose, you just continuously strive to improve as you work on that purpose. And you don't need to be
1: perfect. I have discovered that. Sometimes yeah. I say, well, I can't do that. I'm not in the mood. I do it and it's fine. You know, perfection <laughs> is something I've thrown out the window. You're never going to be perfect. And if you wait for that, you're never going to get anything done. The most important yeah. thing is just to move through it. Is that right, Sophia?
0: Yeah. So just, I would, just to no, I go don't for it, it before, before Sophia goes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I say I'm a recovering perfectionist. And one, <laughs> one thing my therapist told me is progression over perfection.
2: Yeah,
1: progression over perfection. May I quote you? I'm gonna make a book. <laughs> Go ahead, Sophia.
2: Yeah, no, I think that that's actually a perfect um, segue to what I was gonna say. Is that I think that in terms of having hope and thinking about you know, I mean, I think that a lot of the messaging that we get, especially right now, you know, is very grim, and it, and it should be for a reason, right? Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important for people to like demystify change-making, because again, when we view it as, when you look at the end goal of like dismantle this system or end all war, it's like, that's, how am I ever gonna be able to contribute to that, right? So I think viewing peace and viewing change-making as an everyday practice, something that you wake up and you say, today, I'm gonna choose to try to be kind. Today, I'm gonna choose to see every human being as a human being. And making it smaller, you know, taking it down from from that hill, and just saying, "How can I show up today?" Um, And yeah, to Tabitha's point, like comparison is like the evil. Like that is what makes you feel disempowered. That's what makes you feel like you're not important. That you can't um, that you can't contribute. So I think to find hope in this time is also to turn inward and to like learn how to love yourself and cherish yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, because that work is what allows you to go out and say, I'm whole because I'm whole, not because someone else is this or someone else is that. So that's I never realized how much of piecework is internal. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily expect that slash want that going into it, but it's been a huge process of personal journey, too. So I think that that's that would be a huge um, you know, a huge piece of advice for, you know, younger people, I am still a younger person, um, is just to to turn inward, to love yourself, to cherish yourself, and to remember that change making can happen every day in the small ways.
1: You know, I have interviewed hundreds of peacemakers, and I always start with, what does peace mean to you? And every single one has said "Is it's an internal process. It begins inside, and you just said that, Sophia. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Tabitha?
0: Yeah, I agree, and I liked when you said, "I am whole because I am whole." Yeah, I'm. I'm going to make that a bumper sticker. <laughs> I think we're going to make a whole bunch
1: of bumper stickers. Yeah, <laughs> it's joy. Remember that you don't have to be perfect. Progression is not perfection. Perfection comes. Doesn't matter. It, it's give. Get in there and do it. Get in there and do it. That's what I have discovered. I look at Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu, as you know, South Africa and all of the. He always practiced joy. If he was joyful, he was dancing and singing. If he was sad, he was crying. He was a real person. And the real person needs to come out in every interaction. You are who you are. And the more you practice, and I loved your words about practice peace. Practice doesn't make perfection, but it makes you aware. You know, mm-hmm. aware that peace is possible. I'm gonna ask both of you to give us a little bit of what anything surprise you and what does your future hold for you? And this is your time to give us a message of, yes, I did it, but so can you. Why don't we start with you, Sophia?
2: Yeah, so I think that the things that surprised me were kind of actually what I just spoke about is, um, you know, thinking about how internal the work is. Um, I expected to go into grad school studying peace and learn a lot about um, other people and learn a lot about other people's problems. I did not expect to learn a lot about my own problems, which has happened, um, which is a good thing. And I'm tremendously grateful for it. So I think that that's been a huge surprise for me is how internal the work is. Um, and again, just thinking too that in, in my job now, working with um, you know kindergarten through fifth graders, um, I've had to really de- redefine my definition of success. Um, because I went into the job thinking, you know, I'm going to bring restorative justice and I'm going to bring peace building and like the kids are going to like grab onto it and they're going to be peaceful and there's going to be no more fights at the four square court. Um, but, and that's how I defined success in the beginning, right, is that I was going to see this immediate change. So I think that now I look at it as success. I'm not going to see it, Um it hopefully it's something that lives in them 10 years later. And they say, they remember something that I said, right. Um, Or the way that I treated them or the, the community that we all helped create. So I think that that same thing goes for peace. Peace is like, again, it is both a daily practice, a yearly practice and a century practice. So So much of the work that young people are doing now and everyone is doing now, you're not going to see the results maybe in your lifetime. And that can be tremendously hard to have that, have that, um, continue to hold hope with that knowledge. But I think, again, it's that step-by-step and, uh, honoring the small wins, honoring the small victories. Um, I know going forward into my future, I'm hoping to continue to work, um, with both, uh, Combining the work of peace building and restorative justice um, to think about how can I bring systems change to institutions like schools, um, but also very importantly bring in healing. I think healing component is really critical to the field of peace. So how can we not only change systems that we want to see change, but how can we um, repair afterwards, right? Um, So, those are the things that I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, in the future to, to bridge the, the gap between those two fields sometimes um, and just contribute to that work.
1: Thank you so much. And your beauty of saying that it does begin inside. You know, you realize that you want to set the world on fire. Why are they not listening to me? Wait a minute. Am I listening to myself? Yeah. Am I paying attention to how I feel? and what I bring to the world. All right, Kavisa, what do you think? Are we on the right path?
0: Yeah, we're, de- we're definitely uh, making our way there. Uh, what surprised me about peace studies was, so before I came to the Croc School, I think my knowledge on peace was was very limited. I knew that peace was the absence of conflict and war. So I knew, okay, that places that have war, they're not peaceful places. Um, but then when I came to the Croc School, so in, our, in your first semester, um, you have to take a mandatory class called the Foundations of Peace, Justice and Social Change. So I came to the Croc School to study social innovation. So I was like, what does this really have to do with social innovation? So I really um, grappled on like, why am I supposed to study this? And in the first section, um, we tackled some big questions. And one of the big questions was, what is peace and what is conflict? It was in that section that i realized that there's two different types of peace so there's a the negative peace what i knew as the absence of war and there's positive peace which is the absence of structural violence yeah. so i think even realizing that i was like okay so the work i've been doing is related to peace studies like i'm trying to eliminate forms of structural violence that have been limiting um girls and women from accessing a basic need that they have so that was mind blowing and it shifted my mentality um, and it just expanded my worldview view of, of the possibilities that um, nonprofits and that change makers and that people who are working in this development space have in terms of contributing to promoting positive peace. So where do I see my future in relation to peace is definitely continuing the work I do in social and reproductive health justice, but also Um, you know, including advocacy in that as well, but also just peace education for young people like me who are naive and only knew peace as the absence of war. So trying to um, educate them on like the different forms of positive peace and how you can, you know, play a role in in terms of innovation, advocacy, aid and development. Because I think we definitely need to supplement the efforts of those who are working so tirelessly to Um, Eliminate the you know forms of violence and promote negative peace.
2: Wow. If I could just add something real quick to that. Yeah. So Tabitha something that you said there uh, really resonates with me in the sense that another thing that surprised me, and I think it's an important message to continue to like uh, spread about peace studies is that like so many people like the greatest peace builders in the world some of the greatest activists in the world have never gotten a degree in peace right yeah. um have never studied peace so mm-hmm. i think that um like i when i worked at the the crock institute of peace and justice um i helped launch a, a border fellows program and um, there were so many applications that came in talking about all this amazing work that people did in in healthcare and psychosocial support and renewable energy So many different things. And so that experience taught me that, like, all of those people, despite not having a degree in peace, are peace builders, right? Because peace is a peace building and building positive peace is a lens that you see the world. Mm -hmm. um, And it's about how you interact with people and wanting to change structures that have, you know, caused and perpetuated harm. And so I think that that's another thing that's important to remember too is that. Some of our greatest leaders in this field um, are not who we consider to be, you know, have or have received degrees in peace. And so I think continuing to expand ourselves and build collaboration with teachers, with doctors, with all the engineers, right? And to expand the, the playing field for who can be a peace builder, I think is essential for us, for this work to really like stick and be sustainable. Well,
1: you're here because of the Rotary Club of World Peace and Jack Freelander, who has been saying, we need to hear the students. We need to hear what they think, because that's where our future is. And so I'm going to give you both a couple of seconds. And let's say a last word from you, Tabitha, what would you like to leave with today?
0: Um, I think just to just encourage people to try and play the small role that you can towards um, advocating for peace. You know, sometimes it, it starts in the most simplest ways in the home. And I grew up with my brother and I used to fight a lot. So so if you can be a peacemaker at home among your siblings, that's, that's you know, that's you practicing an aspect of peace.
1: Well, that was
0: yes. this little thing I keep here in front of me. My
1: husband and I were speaking at a, a Montessori school and we started peace corners. Just a simple little thing like this in your home that mm-hmm. everybody has a little peace corner and that's yeah. your place Where you can go, you have a chair and you have the little sign and then you can make your sign and you sit there and that's your place to be peaceful. And so this little boy, I was doing it at a Unitarian church and he said, can I bring my dog? And I said, you can bring your dog. And then the little girl says, can my mother sit in it? She's not peaceful. I said, absolutely. (laughs) These children get it. And then I asked the question, what is peace? You know what they said? Love. Mm -hmm. is love. And so I got that from both of you today, that you both are filled with such enormous amounts of love for the world and the work you're doing and the passion you have. And I want Sophia, you'll finish up today. And then I'm going to say, thank you to both of you. Sophia, what would you like to leave us with?
2: Yeah, I think that what I, what the message that I would leave everyone with is echoing what Tabitha said right about how can we, to you know, practice peace at our homes in our in our own personhood. I think the biggest advice I could give is to practice peace with yourself. Um, that will allow you to show up peaceful in the world. But the second part of that is also I encourage people to think about you know who is my community, who are the people mm-hmm. that I care about. How can I help show up for them? How can I be a person of healing to those people that I love. And that can be your family, that can be your maid family, um, that can be your neighbors. And I think if we start there, of thinking about how do I engage with my community, um, that allows us to, to kind of tease out some of those bigger issues that we need to work on. But I think thinking about how we can show up as a healing and loving person to, to the people around us is a, is a good first step. <laughs>
1: What a beautiful way to say thank you. Thank you for being with me, Tabitha. Thank you for being with us, Sophia. Both of you have brought such inspiration, not only through your words, but through your actions and through your, your gaze, your gaze. Just think, look at those eyes of these two beautiful women and you'll become peaceful. They have this message that just their presence brings. And I want you to remember that no matter where you are, you may be the peace somebody else may need. And I'm Barbara gunn Mueller, and you can get us on peacepodcast.org. You can go to our Peace Podcast channel on YouTube, where you can see 83, now 84, with these two beautiful women. And these are peace callers. These are women who have decided they're going to spend their lives doing peace wherever they are and how it can happen. I thank you both. and. Remember that peace is possible. It begins with each of us. Thank you for joining us. I'm Barbara Gunn Mueller. See you on the next podcast.